try to be sensitive to his spirit. Since the beginning, Christians have been called the people of the book because of our love for God's word. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. My subject for your consideration for just a few moments is the walking Bible. Would you say that with me? The walking Bible. There have been ministers, men that have been called that as a nickname over the years, men that had committed large sections of the word of God to memory and we honor them for that. I've known a couple of them and they're phenomenal men. I don't have their brain or their gift. But we are all people of the book because of our love for God's word. We center our lives around the Bible every week in services just like this one. We gather to listen to preaching and teaching. We read and study the scriptures on our own. And we take up that Bible and we pray God's promises. There are people in this room that circled a verse, underlined it, and held it to their chest month after month after month while they walked through a deep and dark valley and God saw them through. We obey and we submit to the commandments of God. So yes, we are unashamedly people of the book. Of course, you know that the first Christians, they didn't have the Bible in the form you have it. They had the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And they had a bunch of letters and documents that were being circulated around, read from church to church, what we now call the epistles and the gospels. Do you understand what a blessing it is to have the entire Bible in a convenient form. Many of us own several Bibles, which is unthinkable to many of our brothers and sisters around the world. One of our missionaries was about ready to rebuke a man in one of our mission fields because he observed that he had ripped his Bible in half. His Bible started with John chapter 1. And he was just about ready to tell him, you shouldn't be disgraceful and disrespectful to the word of God. And then he heard the story that that man and his brother were both ministers and they only had one Bible between them. So he gave his brother all the Old Testament and the first three gospels and he took the rest. It's unthinkable to them that we would have Bibles in so many forms, but we do. How is it that Christianity can survive and thrive in countries where owning a Bible is against the law? The answer is found in one verse from the Old Testament and one verse from the New Testament. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There are times you've got to make every effort to get the words of Scripture off this page and out of this pulpit and get it into your heart and hide it away. The world cannot take away the word when you've hidden the word in your heart. That's the verse from the Old Testament. Here's the verse from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be an epistle of Christ ministered by us, your letter, your epistle, your gospel is not written with ink, but it is with the spirit of the living God. It is not written like the law of Moses on tables of stone, but is written in the real life, every day, fleshly tables 
of your heart. If you are a Christian, your life is supposed to serve as a walking Bible to everyone around you. They shouldn't have to hear about your faith by coming to your church. They should see your faith demonstrated on the pages of your everyday life before you bring them to church. Christians should be and must be the best employees, students, neighbors, bosses, workers, volunteers, spouses, parents, teenagers, siblings, and children in our city. Why? Because you, Christian, are a living epistle, known and read of all men. You are a walking Bible. We normally read Paul's statement there and we apply it to evangelism. And that is certainly the most important application. The church only has a limited number of hours inside this building each week to preach and teach and to train and reach and comfort and encourage and minister and challenge and direct. Only a limited number of hours. That is a massive assignment and it simply will not get done if we depend only on what happens in our services inside our building. Quite simply, quite bluntly, this should not be the only building and the only way where we bring people into contact with God's Word. There's a better way than merely bringing them to a building. You are a walking Bible. You walk among them. You walk beside them. You walk with them. You've heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care about your doctrine until they see how your doctrine is demonstrated. They don't care about your experience or your testimony until they truly see how it has changed your life. They don't care about your religion until they see the results. In the book of Acts, we read in chapter 5, verse 15, that just the shadow of Peter, as he walked down the street, it brought physical healing to many people. It's amazing. And while that might never happen through you, here's something that does happen through you every day of every week of your life. Your shadow touches people at home, at work, at school, in the mall, and on the street. And they feel something when you overshadow them. Most of the people you meet will never have your loyalty to the Bible until they become like you. They are not interested in finding a book with the answer. They are interested in finding a person with the answer. So unless somebody becomes a walking Bible to them, many of them have no Bible. They're not interested in your book. They're interested in your life. And here's what I came to say to some of you wonderful, precious people tonight. There's another way that our lives preach to people. And it's when they watch us walk through situations and sickness, trials and trouble, hurt and heartache, loss and setbacks, pain and disappointment. And they watch you do it with your faith in God intact. 
There are people in this room that think because of their current situation where they're laid aside for some reason or another that they're not doing very much for God. But what you don't realize is that to the rest of us and to everybody else looking on your life, just the fact that you are surviving right now is a powerful sermon that preaches the grace of God. Other people would be bitter. Other people would throw up their hands. Other people would quit and curse. Other people would hate, but not you. John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus looked at his own disciples and said, this blind man didn't sin and his parents didn't sin. Do you know why this happened? This happened so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He went through this so God could get the glory. John 11, verse 4, when Jesus heard the news that his friend Lazarus had died, he turned to his disciples and he said, this sickness that Lazarus has, it's not unto death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus didn't even show up when Lazarus was sick. Jesus didn't even go to the funeral. But he came later and he raised Lazarus. And he allowed that sickness and that sadness to go unchecked. Why? So God could be glorified. Please hear pastor tonight. Getting your miracle is going to be wonderful. And we are all going to cheer with you and dance with you and rejoice with you when you get your miracle. But when the road gets long and the ceiling seems like brass and you can't bust through with your prayer, please remember that getting your miracle, while it will be wonderful, and we're going to pray until we see it, while getting your miracle will be wonderful, please remember that getting your miracle is not the only way that God gets the glory. I know that the trial is difficult and the road is long, but if he put you in it, he will bring you through it in the name of Jesus. And in the meantime, you are literally living like a page of scripture in front of the whole world. All your family and friends and work associates and fellow church members that know you and love you and respect you. They're watching you walk in honor and glory to God. And you're a living Bible to them. A walking testament to God's grace. Peter wrote these words. Peter, at the end of the first century, he's trying to shepherd a certain segment of the church through some very severe persecution. And here's what he writes to them. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened unto you. But in the middle of your trial, with tears running down your face and your emotions a wreck. Rejoice. <laughs> There's a big assignment. Rejoice. Why? Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Listen, that when his glory shall be revealed in that day, you'll receive such a reward that you will completely forget in a celestial instant, all of the pain and all the heartache and all the suffering here, and you will be glad also with exceeding joy. Peter continues and later in that, uh, earlier in that epistle rather, he says in chapter one, that the trial of your faith, 
being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire, that it might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What an amazing scripture. That your pain right now is going to be transformed into praise and glory and honor at the coming of Jesus Christ. That your long, lonely road right now is going to be transformed into praise and honor and glory when he returns in the clouds of heaven. And then in that next verse, he says, whom having not seen, you still love. In whom though now you see him not, yet you still believe and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We got an old hymn that we used to sing, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I don't know if we ever stopped to realize that when Peter referred to joy unspeakable and full of glory, he wasn't referring to Sunday night church. He wasn't referring to the, the buzz you get in the altar service. He was referring to walking through trials and never giving up and never giving the devil an inch and serving Jesus and lifting your hands when your arms are filled with pain and lifting your head up to God even when your body is racked with all kinds of agony and saying, God, though you slay me, I'm still gonna trust you. That's where joy unspeakable and full of glory came from in the middle of pain and suffering. And Peter said, you're gonna receive the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. Most of you have already seen this probably because you've got the spiritual gift of Facebook. She died 10 years ago yesterday and her precious granddaughter, our daughter, Emily, posted this in her memory. 1933 to 2009, 76 years loved, one couple, three children, seven grandchildren, nine months battling, one last goodbye, 10 years missed, eight great grandkids she never had the chance to love on, 10 Thanksgiving dinners without that wonderful homemade bread, among other things, 10 Christmases without her and her sweet little shopping list for every family member, Hours, days, and now years have come and gone. But because of one decision 46 years ago by two precious people, three kids grew up knowing about God, and now three generations follow. And we look forward to one sweet day. We're 10 years closer. Because of one faithful life lived and one beautiful example, we still follow. Of all the hundreds of reasons why we love you, Carlotta Flowers, we're most grateful for that one decision and for the millions of years of eternity we'll have to rejoice together. That young Catholic girl that followed a backslidden Pentecostal boy back to his roots, she had a beautiful spirit and a powerful influence. And as she faced the sickness that would ultimately take her, she did so with a quiet but unshakable confidence in God. She was quiet, but she was a walking Bible. Not because she had so much head knowledge about God, because she had so much heart experience with God. She said to Beverly not long before she passed, she said, sometimes I feel a hand on my shoulder. 
you ever feel that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Sometimes earthen vessels get broken. Sometimes earthen vessels get sick. Sometimes earthen vessels have pain. Sometimes earthen vessels cry tears. Sometimes earthen vessels have heartbreak and heartache. Sometimes earthen vessels have to say goodbye to people they didn't want to say goodbye to. Sometimes earthen vessels go through things that would boggle your mind that a loving God could even allow. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? Why? Here's why. That the excellency of the power has nothing to do with you and your strength. It has nothing to do with you and your skill. It has nothing to do with you and all your intellect and intelligence. The excellency of the power is of God and it is not of us. Paul went to the Lord three times. He said, Jesus, you got to take this from me. It's driving me crazy. It's a thorn in my flesh. We don't even know what it was, but it was bad enough that the great apostle who didn't bat an eye when they tried to kill him, and he didn't break a sweat when they tried to stone him, this thorn in the flesh drove him crazy, and he went to God three times and said, Jesus, you got to take this. And Jesus did not give Paul the answer he wanted or expected. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, here's what Jesus said to me. I'm not going to take it right now. Here's what I'm going to tell you. My grace is sufficient for thee. Here's why. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do is live one more day. Sometimes the greatest testimony you can ever have is that you walked into the house of God and in spite of what you're walking through, going through, what you're experiencing, you got your hand in the air. You got your face in the air. You got your voice in the atmosphere and you gave praise to God. You are an epistle known and read by everybody around you. Sometimes there are dark chapters in that epistle. Sometimes there are sad pages in that Bible. But you are a walking Bible. I didn't come to guilt you into trying to push and do more. No, I just came to thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Pastors, they get acquainted quite quickly and quite consistently with some of the details of what precious people walk through. And boy, we've got a raft of it in our church. We've got people walking through loss and heartache. We've got people walking through all kinds of situations in their families. We've got people walking through all varieties of sickness and pain, suffering, surgeries. We've got it all. You know, you'd think, wouldn't you, that this Jesus who can create a world, that he could just take it all away, just let us all be happy. And his answer to that would be, oh, you've never seen heaven yet. I am taking it all away. And for millennia, you'll be completely happy. This is the preparation ground for that. And you are my Bible. 
if they never own one of these, if they've met you, they should still have a chance to know this Jesus you love. And when you walk through your situation and you refuse to let the devil get you down and life defeat you, you're writing another chapter in your epistle that is known and read of all men. Thank you for being the kind of Christians that you are. I could name names. I could go around the sanctuary and I could start asking people to stand. But can I just suffice it to say, I'm so very proud of so many of you because I know a little bit of what you've walked through. And you are amazing people. And better than that, you serve an amazing God. And I just came to say, thank you. Because some of you that don't think you're such a great testimony, your life speaks louder than your voice ever could. Your faith speaks stronger than your skill ever could. Would you lift your hands right now? I'm finished. That's it. That's all I have to deliver to you tonight. I just wanted to encourage somebody here tonight. Would you lift up your hands and now would you lift your voice? And some of you feel like letting the tears flow and that's okay. It's okay to have tear-stained pages in your walking Bible. It's okay to have sad points in your walking Bible. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Jesus is in control. We talk about this Bible and we say we've read the end of the book and we win. Guess what? God's seen the end of your story and you win too. You really do. Oh my. Would you rise like you were rising for royalty and would you just lift up your hands one more time? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you folks are wonderful. And the Jesus you serve is more wonderful than you are. He's amazing. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I'm going to ask the music team to quickly assemble and sing that beautiful song they were singing just before I spoke tonight. Please don't shift gears yet. I think it would be wonderful if we brought all these walking Bibles together and just came to the altar and just gave a tribute of thanks to Jesus. You feel it. I know you do. I can see it on your face. Some of you that the altar is kind of not a comfortable zone for you. You really need to come tonight. Pastor can see it on your face. You really need to be here tonight. 
let's just respond to the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. They'll sing in a minute. We're, we're not singing right now. I just want you to come and offer your thanks and your honor and your praise to Jesus. <laughs> He's so proud of you. He's so proud of you. You serve him despite the pain and you serve him despite the heartbreak and you serve him despite the questions and the things you don't understand. Jesus is so proud of you. He's so proud of you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take that screen up, guys. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, he loves you. He loves you. The veil is torn. The doors swing wide. I see glory as I run inside the throne room before you.